so Trent, what have you been eating? Recently? I'm gonna take I'm gonna take this opportunity to let the audience know that this is actually take two for the opening. Parth just asked me a minute ago amidst take one, and I was unable to fester a response. And then he was like, "So Trent, like, because you were silent, that must mean like." Subsequently, I stepped away for. I said, "Let me get a glass of water." And Parth rightfully figured, "Oh, Trent is getting that glass of water, so he has something to talk about during this portion of the film discussion." And then I returned. He was like, "Oh, you haven't eaten anything. It's five p.m. Like, you must be hungry." And then I told him, "No, I." Have I, I for breakfast? I had smoothie and eggs, and then for lunch I had chicken tenders, carrots. You didn't, you, you didn't say that. I stopped you so that we. You stopped me because it. you wanted this to be genuine original content, reporting. and you right. wanted to have like a a, a genuine facial reaction. reaction. Although there's no visual component to this podcast, let the record reflect that Parth looks shocked. And intrigued. Yeah, that's his um, his shock noise. And now I'm drinking the aforementioned glass of water. But that was just more to wet my whistle. Enjoy all these um, liquid thank, thank sounds. You thank you for that term, Trent. Yeah, we... I'd like to wet your whistle. We are an ASMR podcast now. Partha. <laughs> Sorry, that got out of hand. What have you been eating? Um... I had most recently lemonade because the drink, the, the drink. Oh, actually, it was a Capri du Soleil uh, lemonade. I didn't know you spoke French. I uh, well, what can I say? I'm a man of surprises. Yeah, you're um, a Renaissance man. No, there's a funny story behind. Why oh, I tell me, Capri Sun Capri I love du Soleil. Oh, please. It's not actually that funny. I said it one. <laughs> but time. it sure is a story. I, I said it one time to my friend Jesse. And she laughed really hard when I said it. Oh. And you see, it's like Cirque du Soleil, except it's Capri du Soleil. Does Jessie have a high standard for comedy? For comedy, or will she just? Accept she really anything? likes white chicks. Um, oh, the movie? Yeah, the the one where they the, yeah yeah it's like black men and then they six foot something black men transform in white so. face and are blonde girls blonde white girls to be exact i've seen this movie and i wait why i well does that mean you haven't seen this movie i'm not i'm not advocating for it. i'm not saying i liked it but i we crossed paths at one point but um i heard it's getting i read an article that it was like getting canceled because it's uh white face it's cultural appropriation but for caucasians of, of, of white people who yes. are here on craft services the podcast we like to watch out for our european friends right and and again last last week we 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 kind of showed everybody just how against racism we were mm -hmm. um and we like to extend that to our our, our white um majority male friends um let's be honest parth i have another uh podcast related announcement let's hear it so do you know how last week we put out a call for action about which phineas and ferb character i was yes i had someone respond what yeah do you i, I want to hear it participation hear it. do you want to take a take a guess are you it's a main character not to give it away oh, as in they aren't like just like a side character that you wouldn't be able to guess. I feel like I don't know how main this person is. I feel like visually you just look most like Jeremy. But yeah, I mean that's that, that, that's a that's a fair observation. But it was uh, more off of like energy or like personality. I'm just gonna tell you. Please do. It was it was the, the titular character Phineas. Th Phineas. Because you're you're more you're more gregarious than Ferb, and you don't speak British. Right? My question was, why? And then she said, what is Phineas's catchphrase? And I said, I know what we're going to do today. And then she said, you were good at planning. And I said, that's fair. And I took that as a compliment. Um, I mean, I don't, like the, I don't like planned this podcast that we're listening to right now. Single-handedly. I just took Parthon out of the kindness of my heart. But he well, really no, the podcast was my idea, let's be clear. Moving on. Um, I don't like my resemblance to Phineas. Um, and I would rather be... Baljeet. 
No, I I won't go on the record as saying I'd rather be Baljeet. Um, but Buford just that like hits home for me. Something like about harassing like the smaller, like Indian the child. weaker. Oh, I didn't bring race into this. That was you. He did. Well, that's just your past trauma slipping out. So no need to force it upon me. Do do you have any um? cartoon related content you'd care to share with the teens of america which is our audience um mostly americans and presumably mostly teens hopefully white um i mean what parth you keep keep hammering away at this i what do you what agenda are you serving um i think we're scaring me we're, we're gonna cut to the show now Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about movies. Each week, we discuss a different film and hopefully have an interview with a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience. This week, we're talking about John Wick 2, or well, I guess, excuse me, John Wick Chapter 2, uh, which immediately follows John Wick. And with us, we have the Shocking. trailer. And with us, we have the trailer music composer, Richie Cohan. Um, Parth conducted this interview alone. Solo, like my favorite Star Wars film. So Parth loves the movie Solo, and he did this interview alone, which this was, was the guy, very nice of him. He was, he was the music, he, he condu- composed the trailer music for John Wick Chapter 2 and 3, although he's, he was uncredited on 2, which is interesting. That's disrespectful. We, we, we get into that in the interview. So this is us crediting him. Yeah. Finally. Um, but um, unfortunately, we only talk about the movie Solo, which he did not really? work on. That's yeah. shocking. It was, did, did he have a lot to say? He, he was like, much like Star Wars The Last Jedi, you really subverted my expectations about what this interview was going to be about. Wait, so Parth, is that, let's just, let's clear the air. That was a joke, right? Because I wouldn't want to mislead our listeners about what to expect with this upcoming you talked about like John Wick two related stuff. We did not talk about Solo. No. Did you get? Anyway. Did you? Did you? Did he ask you any personal questions? He was he like? I'll, what are I'll you? Be honest. What are you off, wearing? Off camera, it it got a little interrogatory. Mm. Um, he was like, "Have you committed any crimes recently?" And you're he, like, it was "More so, would I be willing to commit crimes <laughs> for him?" Um, well, your response? Well, you'll have to let's let's cut to the interview now, won't we? Hello, everybody. I'm here with Richie Cohan. He's an incredibly talented artist who's worked in the music department for such films as X-Men Apocalypse, Ghost in the Shell, Beautiful Boy, and has worked on the trailer music for John Wick Chapters 2 and 3. I'm incredibly excited to talk with him, so welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, So we generally like to start our interviews by asking what got you into film and like what laid your interest in it. Well, um... I think for a long time I'd actually avoided doing music for film um, because I wanted to be an artiste, I suppose, as they say. So I spent my 20s sort of making whatever music I wanted. And then eventually I I was earning, sort of earning a living as a teacher, making sort of very little money and just spending the rest of my time just kind of making music. You know, I had a band for a while. I was just studying orchestration on my own. And then eventually I realized I kind of needed a career I couldn't spend the rest of my life just being, you know, extremely broke. Um, and what I was doing musically really lended itself to film. Um, I think like in my heart, I probably always wanted to be a film composer, but I think I was sort of afraid to do it for two reasons. One of which was that um, I would have been forced to make music that I really wasn't that excited to make. Um, and I think the other one, which is perhaps more important, but I had not really acknowledged, was that I was afraid I wouldn't be able to do it. You know, I wouldn't be able to have the, like, my skill set just wouldn't live up to what was needed for all of that stuff. You know, and I, I sort of passed it off as just not wanting to, but really, I think there was a, a big fear element too. Uh, after having sort of studied orchestration just out of my own sort of curiosity for it, that was a huge asset in sort of making the transition into film music. 
Um, so I met a few people. Um, the first person I ended up working for was named John Paisano, who's best known for scoring the Maze Runner films, um, Daredevil, and lots of other stuff. And I learned a lot of this sort of technical craft from him. He's really computer savvy. So I learned sort of like what computer I would need and what software I would need and how to set up. I was using Logic. So how to set up my Logic template so it would be you know prepared for the type of stuff that we were doing. Uh, I also sort of around then um, met, I, I had been sort of making trailer music just on my own and giving it to whoever I knew um, or had contacts with in the trailer music world. Um, so after doing that for a while, I had you know sent a bunch of music to this one person who was working at a big uh, trailer music house at the time. And eventually she ended up taking on some pro bono gig for some reason. So she needed a composer who would work for free and I was happy to at the time. So I did this project for her and not long after that, she ended up leaving that company and starting her own. And she needed someone to do custom work for her and just to provide music for her. Um, and that was really, those two things, working for Paisano and then working for that com the new company called Scorebird um, were the beginnings of my career. And they just kind of went from there. That's super cool. Uh, it sounds like you were at the right place at the right time, sort of. Yeah. I mean, it took a while to get to that point. So it took two years of, of you know, trying to do stuff. Um, and on the one hand, that kind of seems like a long time, but at the same time, it's also kind of not, you know, I'm sure, mm -hmm. you know, many people end up going to work at remote control and interning there or whatever for years. That's Hans Zimmer's studio. Right. Um, and they'll just get coffee for two years before they do anything, you know, in music. And then the next thing they'll do is just print stems for several years and then they have to like claw their way up. Um, so in a sense, I, I kind of got to skip that step. Although, I mean, there's many different ways to get into the, into the, industry. You said that um, your sort of method was sort of attuned to film already. Um, so I was wondering what you sort of meant by that. Um, so it wasn't my method, but I think just the, the music that I was making, um, it was very cinematic. In, in my 20s, I had a band that, I mean, it was, it was almost more film score than it was uh, a rock band. And so... I just kind of had this sensibility about that. And I also, I had always wanted a visual element and a storytelling element to the music, but I never really had that for that project. And I think that was one of the big pieces that was missing from it. So uh, yeah, I guess I've always loved the idea of creating a world through music. And that's, you know, very much what film composers are, are doing. Yeah. And I think also instrumentationally, you have the flexibility to use really any instrument um like in, in rock music you know people do incorporate other stuff but it's ultimately centered around you know drums guitar bass whatever right um whereas in film music you can really base the music on anything you want it, you have lots more options basically yeah so that was something that i was always interested in using sort of unusual instruments and creating you know different kind of sound palettes with that. So to just sort of get more specifically into your uh, work on John Wick, um, you're listed, you're uncredited, it says on IMDb, um, uh, for John Wick Chapter 2, and you, you are credited for Chapter 3. Mm -hmm. And so I was just wondering how you came to be involved with Chapter 2 and um, what the difference was between the two projects, considering you were credited on one and not on the other. So... Um... The, that project came about through um, my, the trailer sort of company that I was working with called Scorebird. Um, so one of the things that I was doing with Scorebird at the time was uh, taking uh, classical pieces, popular classical pieces, in that case Vivaldi, the, uh, the seasons. For me to be able to create my own master, I had to mock up the orchestration using all of my sample libraries. Um, instead of, you know, using some existing orchestral version or me having to go out and hire an orchestra myself. So um, basically what we would do is we would take these pieces, these classical pieces, I would mock them up and then I would trailerize them, you know, adding huge explosions or if like the Vivaldi, for example, was just a small chamber ensemble that plays it. It's, you know, mostly strings and or in fact, it might not be all strings. And so the orchestration I did of it was instead of a small chamber string ensemble, it was a huge 
string section, plus tons of brass and woodwinds and percussion and choir and every whatever you could throw in there. And then I added tons of synths and um, explosion sounds and gigantic drums and all the stuff that trailers have. And you give it this, the, the, the like trailer music has a, a specific structure to it. You know, they kind of all sort of sound the same. You've probably noticed as you've watched a thousand trailers. Yeah. Um, so you basically have to get that Vivaldi piece to follow that, that trailer structure and usually culminates in the end with a gigantic rise and then a big explosion or something. Um, so I did that and I had that piece lying around for, in fact, that one was a, originally it was a custom project for something along several years before the John Wick thing happened. So they hired me to create this thing and they didn't use it. And then I got to keep it and it was just sitting in my library for a long time. And then I guess there was a, a, a search, um, to all the trailer music or the, trailer production companies, the people who are actually making the trailers, send out music searches to all the different trailer music houses um, who represent composers who make that music. So they'll get a whole bunch of music from all these different people and they'll try all different stuff and they'll be like, oh, wow, I, I guess I really like this Vivaldi thing. Um, let's mm -hmm. do something with that. So they, they liked the Vivaldi one. And I think I ended up having to do lots and lots of revisions for that to, to give them what they needed and ultimately they ended up using it. So then John Wick 3 came around, they wanted to do the same idea. So they chose a different Vivaldi piece and used the sort of the same concept with it. And in that case, instead of it being, this this might be why I was credited on the third one and not on the second one, is they actually approached me and hired me to make a piece for them. Right. So they said, we okay. want this different Vivaldi piece here. Go take this and- Sort of commissioning you to do it. Exactly. And yeah, that's how that happened. And luckily they liked what I did and they ended up using it because still a lot of times they'll hire you and they'll you know give you your demo fee and say, nah, we're going to do something completely different or whatever. We'll hire someone else to do the same thing that he wanted you to do um so yeah really fortunately that thing ended up working out i, I think it's a both are really great trailers um oh, thank you and the, the music plays a big part in them um and i think trailers are a really um sort of interesting art form because they are kind of just commercials for your movie but at the same mm -hmm. time they also have to sort of function on their own as a piece of entertainment mm -hmm. and so i was wondering what your sort of schedule for that sort of thing like what sort of time frame are you guys on and from what i heard from you it's and you can correct me if i'm wrong obviously but um it seems like they chose the music before they associated images with it uh, um and I, I was just wondering what i have no idea what that process is like sure so i'll say that most of the time trailers are not custom pieces so that was sort of unusual maybe five percent five to ten percent of the time they'll do custom stuff um, but a lot of the time, it's just they they send out these searches to all the trailer music houses and ask for music. If they, whichever one is their favorite, they'll just use that one. Um, so typically, trailer composers are not writing music for a specific trailer. They just write stuff that sounds like trailer music in this style. Here's an action cue. Here's a drama cue. Whatever. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so usually there's no relationship between the music and the whatever it's being made for until they're actually put together. Um, in the case of custom work, um, when they were developing the trailer for John Wick, they probably you know put put a, a piece to trailer together. They may have even tempted it with their own Vivaldi cut or whatever. Maybe they used the the John Wick two cue that I had done and tempt that in or something. So they had an idea of what they wanted. Um, and then they commissioned the piece for me to actually create it, you know? Mm. So, yeah, I guess that's typically how the, you know, the two options of how it works. And another question that I was sort of wondering is you're also credited on a few other projects as an additional arranger. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not versed in how the music business sort of works. And I was wondering if you could explain what that is and how that, uh, relates to composing and stuff like that. So I guess I'll preface that with the way credits work for composers in film is sort of a sort of silly, I guess. Um, there is in if you're working on like a visual effects team or any other facet of 
of the film, usually there will be some lead person who runs the who runs the thing, and then there will be a team of people under them who are credited for whatever it was they actually did. Uh, with music, you have the composer listed as the person who makes all of the music, basically, and that is sometimes the case, but most often not. Usually because there's simply not enough time to score. You know, we might have four or six weeks to score an hour and a half of music or two hours of music. And it's just not enough time for one person to do it. So they bring on a team of, or usually, you know, these big composers have a team of additional composers. And they basically, the the lead composer will delegate who scores what, you know. Um, so basically you have a team of people actually writing the music to the film. And it really depends on, on the on the lead composer, how they do that. Some people just let the, the additional composers do whatever they want, as long as it's sort of in the right style. Other times the, they will, the lead composer will write a bunch of themes and they say, okay, whenever this person's in the scene, you have to use this theme there or this instrumentation or whatever it is. Right. Um, and I guess depending on how high up you are in the hierarchy, of their team and depending on who they're working for, that may determine the credit that you get. So additional composer is the highest credit you can get under being the actual composer. Um, additional arranger would be lower than that or just like MIDI programmer or what all these other things. Um, so a lot of the time when you see additional arranger or MIDI programmer or synth producer or something like that, it's usually people actually writing some of the music um, however, that is not always the case. Some people do delegate very specific things. So you might have, the, the composer might actually uh, sketch out the whole scene that they want using all the melodies and whatever. They might sketch it out just with piano and flute or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, okay, go take this thing and expand it. So, you know, it's using a full orchestra and synths and whatever it needs for that thing. So that might be an example of an additional arranger or someone might, um, this, this is very unusual, but some people use um, uh, notation software to score like Sibelius or Finale. So those are that, that software designed specifically for creating parts for live musicians who are going to be recording it on a recording session um, or performing it live. Um, and the sounds that they have in those are typically not great, you know, um, but it will still, it'll, it'll sound like, you know, a video game from the 90s, probably, in terms of the quality and realism of the sound. Um, right. So someone might mock something up and have it sound like that, and then send it off to a MIDI programmer to uh, reprogram everything that they've done using the best sounding sample libraries to give it, you know, the most realistic sound. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the different things that, I, or, or I guess maybe one other example would be if uh, the composer has scored a scene and completed it, and then um, additional arranger might be someone who uh, the, the composer says, okay, this other scene needs very similar music. So I'm gonna just give you this whole cue. I'll give you my whole, all the MIDI stuff from it and just rearrange it so it fits this other scene. You know, that, that's probably more common, let's say in television where you just have episodic stuff and it's just recycling right. the same music every, every episode. And like beats sort of placed over exactly so you might need part. to extend something by a few beats or shorten it or make it bigger in a moment or smaller in a moment whatever it is yeah that um, kind of reminds me of this one interview of hans zimmer where he basically wasn't able to at first send the dark knight score to the oscars because he attached way too many people to it because <laughs> there's just so many people that were on it yeah so he had to sort of consolidate that a bit um, yeah i mean he was the one who really kind of spearheaded the movement of creating music factories. And I think for better or for worse, you know, that was the, like, he, he's really known for having big teams who work for him and, um, you know, uh, enable the quantity of music that he produces. Um, you've also worked in television. Um, and I was wondering how you came to be involved with those projects and the difference in process for that than it, uh, as compared to features? Um, so the first big project I worked on was the How to Train Your Dragons TV series. And that was working for John Paisano. I guess that came to me just because he was who I happened to be working for. And that was the project he needed help with. In terms of um, 
the like how the process may be different for TV than film. For that project, ideally, aside from the so there was certainly there was more comedy in the show than there was in the films. So and and there wasn't a whole lot of comedy music in the films. So we kind of that was one place where there was like a big difference. I had to sort of we we had to come up with a comedy sound for mm. it. Um, but in terms of like the big action stuff or the emotional stuff, ideally they wanted us to sound like John Powell. They wanted it to be as if John Powell was scoring that show. Maybe the only difference would have been just the amount of music that was required and the deadline is probably tighter. I would imagine Powell probably had a lot of time to work on those films. But I think that's um, sort of a, that's different from a lot of other TV. Like if you're watching some drama or some uh, procedural show, um, the the music is going to sound different than a f- than than film music does, right? Um, and so, in that regard, process will be a bit different. Um, there might be you know different sound palettes you use. There's more of just like a bed of sound going under things, and then like a big rise at the end of a of a of, of a scene or something. But in many ways, I think it's probably pretty similar, the process between, you know, TV and film. And just to sort of speak specifically on your preferences as a composer, what sort of instruments do you like to use? Um, are you a big synth guy? And Because obviously um, the demands of whatever you're working on are going to overshadow whatever you kind of want to do. Sure. But sort of what do you personally like to bring to the table? Well, my hero is John Williams. Um, most good choice. Most composers' heroes hero is John Williams. Although there are a lot of people whose hero is is Hans Zimmer, and their sounds are very very different. Uh, when I can, when I have the opportunity to, um, I like to bring music that is musically interesting. If that makes sense, you know. Um, a lot of score these days is based on synth sounds, or even if it's not synth, maybe it's orchestral sounds, um, but it's creating some kind of texture. Usually, harmonically, it's not very complex. It might just be one chord going through the whole thing, just some drone, and then some stuff on top of that drone. Or it might be sort of like a, a pop-style chord progression, like a four-chord progression that you might hear in a pop song but is produced in sort of a cinematic way. Mm-hmm. Um, when you listen to John Williams' music and the music of that, the, you know, the previous generations, that wasn't the case. Um, this sort of like drone, you know, pop chord progression thing is something that probably started maybe in the late 80s or certainly by the 90s. And then it's just become more and more uh, extreme ever since. So when I can, I like to bring complex harmonies and... Um, really, you know, fancy orchestrational stuff with string runs and doing things that that orchestras actually do, um, as opposed to using an orchestra to do things that it really wasn't intended to do. And using music as the tool to tell the story instead of technology as the tool. Um, And as you were saying, sort of, especially these days, there's no way around, you know, being tied to the technology. Um, But I just... Um, I mean, music can do so much without technology. Uh, and I devoted my life to the pursuit of music, not to the pursuit of computers and synths and stuff. Right. So yeah, I think that's that's the thing that, that I hope to bring to the table. Um, and once in a while, I actually get to do that. Good choice for who to make your musical hero. Um, well, thanks. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> this is sort of wrapping up a little bit. Um, we have asked every one of our guests how the coronavirus has affected them and depending upon what department you're in whether that's more of a behind the scenes or on set work it's been to varying degrees to which they've not been able to do their work Mm -hmm. and so i was wondering how that's affected your workflow um and positive or negative stuff that that's brought you uh the biggest effect has just been less work um, because there's less stuff being produced. However, I've been like, once it also, once lockdown began, I expected to have no work at all. Um, and I was really surprised that there is stuff still happening. 
um, part, part of that has to do with music is still needed for anything that was in production prior to um, lockdown beginning. Right. Um, but also there is some stuff still being produced in particular animation. So I'm working on a film right now, an animated film. Um, and I think that animation is really thriving right now because everyone can sort of work from home. Um, and in terms of uh, other sort of effects, um, I work from my home studio and most composers work just independently from a studio. So you don't have to worry about going into going on set where there are supposed to be a hundred people and not that not being possible or having to find a way around that. Um, also, I, I don't have a team of people that I work with. Some composers, you know, like Hans or whatever, they'll have all these people who are in their studio and engineers and, you know, um, assistants and all this stuff. Since I don't have that, I didn't have to find workarounds for that. Um, but I imagine a lot of people did. There are things like um, doing live recording sessions that um, I couldn't really do. Or if I did, it would have to be just a one person recording remotely from there. You know, having to use someone who has their own recording setup. Um, so that's still possible. But I haven't needed to do a whole lot of that this year. Yeah, I think there was just one recording session that I did that way. Um, other than that, I think because of my traditional workflow, just how I typically work, uh, coronavirus hasn't affected me um, that much. I think just aside from the availability of, of work to be done. So quantitative has been affected more than quality. Has. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's really great information to hear. Um, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Our, answering our questions. Sure. Uh, and so that was Richie Cohan, and he worked on the trailers for John Wick Chapter 2 and 3. And thanks for coming on. Thanks to Richie Cohan for talking with us. He was super cool to talk with. It was a little bit of a short interview, but... Um, How short was it? It was like 20 minutes. Yeah, something like that. That's a respectable length. No, but, Richie, uh, he's a busy guy. He's got a lot yes. on his plate. Um, and he said, Parth, I'll give you 20 minutes max. We'll talk about Solo in, out. Exactly. And as that you was- just heard, as you just heard, um, mm-hmm. we did in fact talk about Solo, a Star Wars story. The best idea put to film, perhaps. Everybody wants a Han Solo movie not starring Harrison Ford. Parth is a part of the advertising team. <laughs> What? You're part of the solo advertising team. You're just like really late to the game. You're trying oh, to yeah, get like no. a resurgence well, I mean, of popularity. Like, like the rest of the solo advertising team, I'm really terrible at my job and um and am directly responsible for the fucking failure of my movie. Um but that's neither here nor there. This means you work for Disney, right? Let's fuck, we don't have anything to cut to. I can't use that that trope anymore. So Walt Disney, anti-Semitic, the rumors, Um, can you confirm them? The the synopsis for this movie, which Mm. we didn't get into before the the interview, is um, after returning to the criminal underworld to repay a debt, John Wick discovers that a large bounty has been put on his life, Mm. which is succinct, as these synopses tend to be. I just watched it, and so I can corroborate that synopsis. Mm -hmm. And... So I guess you, you want to know some production history? If you if you have it right in front of you. Like, if you have to get it from wikipedia.com and then read it verbatim, then then no interest. But if it's original, if you can just, like, improv. Let, let's see what I can do. Well, in February 2015, the directors of the first film, Chad Stahelski and David Leach, um, had begun development on a John Wick sequel. The president or the CEO of Lionsgate, uh, John Feltheim, Feltheimer, Feltheimer mm-hmm. um, said that they viewed John Wick as a multiple title action franchise. And Derek Kolstad, the screenwriter for the first film, returned for the second film. And the sequel is greenlit. Originally, it was to be released in the middle of 2016, but then it ended up getting pushed back to February 2017. Keanu Reeves trained in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, <laughs> And they filmed, again, mostly in New York City, although as the film takes place in Rome. They filmed in Rome. A majority of the film, they filmed in Rome. 
We live in New Jersey. Um, we were the home of John Wick for a bit. Keanu Reeves was here. It's true. He lived in my house for that. Really? For that. It was it was a time. It was like a foreign exchange student. He just like... Like, this is something people don't really know about Keanu Reeves. They're all like, wow, he's such a nice guy. He's worked on these really great, influential, big movies. And but what people, they aren't talking what, about... But what they don't know is that he's a huge fan of Solo as well. So we just... <laughs> we were laughing it up together. So... You know? So you're telling me Keanu Reeves is featured on the interview with John Wick 2 trailer composer? Um, well, I mean, he, he wasn't there, but... But in spirit, spirit he was spirit, also yeah. supportive of the right. movie Solo. Yeah, Wait, no, I mean, when he was living in my house... As I have a direct coming. quote here from Keanu Reeves. Do that, yes, please. I'm going to include my impression also. Oh, this will be lovely. I love the movie Star Wars. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, reset. I love the movie Solo, a Star Wars story. It's a great film. Watch it. That's an order from me, Keanu Reeves, actor exactly. in such films as The Matrix and the John Wick franchise. And have a nice day. I thought it was End quote. speaking just then. Yeah, no, I just uh, thank you, you for listening so to that like audio clip. No, I just. Um, oh, that was an audio clip. I recorded him saying that. He didn't know I was wearing a wire. It was strapped to my chest. You're saying you were wearing a wig. <laughs> um, let it let it be known that I'm not wearing a wig. Wait, right. Parth, you can see me. Emma, do you know something I don't, know. I don't? Well, I mean, we're social distance podcasting. I can't reach over and tug on those hair strings of yours. Do you, um, do you want to? If you that. could, would you? Maybe you can join me and Keanu Reeves uh, in talking about Solo. Speaking of Keanu Reeves, let's get back to John Wick Chapter 2. We better. story for Our the topic day. topic of the day. A Solo, it's run its course. Let it die. <laughs> no further mention required. We'll see about that. Mm. Anyways, would you like to know the budget for this film? How much it made? So the budget was 40 million US dollars. How'd you know that? But the box office was 171.5 million US dollars. That's four times their investment. That's called capitalism. But yeah, it has pretty much double the budget of its predecessor and made more money. And I guess business baby. Now we can get into our thoughts. I read some I I read some one star reviews. I didn't copy any of them down. But I just wanted to take away my um, the, the unanimous decision. And there was a lot more people who didn't like this movie compared to people. And they felt a lot stronger than people who didn't like. Oh, dogs die in this movie. Spoilers. Someone said they were like, this franchise has a strange infatuation with killing animals. And I was like, no animals die in this movie. Like that happened once last time. So quit bringing up old wounds, reviewer. Bringing up uh, old wounds, John Wick Two, parallel. Can I can I state a gripe with the film? Y- yeah, it's not just a life gripe. It's, okay, yeah, go it's ahead. Real, I'm it's on not, topic. It's not I'm with, on topic. It's not Lucasfilm's decision to not market Solo properly. Moving on. Um, so John Wick, the the third one is called John Wick Parabellum. Is that correct? It's called John it, Wick Part Chapter Three, three um, Parabellum. It was originally called John Wick Parabellum because movie studios have some weird aversion to calling the third film in the franchise the third film. Thank you. Um, That was part of my complaint. I thought it was like an alien, aliens, alien three kind of thing. Although what could alien three really call itself? I think a better um, example would be Blade, Blade two, Blade Trinity. Or well, because there's like an inherent marketability to being like the thing you liked again. Here's the second time, but then the third one, you need like you need to put a, a new spin on it. Okay, it's like if someone comes in to the movie theater and they see John Wick semicolon no colon parabellum, they're gonna be like, I'll know who this John Wick guy is, but I doubt that there's any past films that we would have needed as knowledge to move forward with this. But if you see John Wick 3, they're going to be like, well, I don't have the necessary skill set to enjoy this. So it's manipulating the moviegoers. I hate it when things are not kept in like line. Yeah. Like it's really annoying to me. Like if John Wick 2 wasn't named John Wick Chapter 2, it was it was named like 
John Wick, some other Latin subtitle, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be less bothersome to me because I, they, they I only named continuity. it. They only named it John Wick Chapter Three Dash Parabellum after there was a big outcry about it, and then renamed it John Wick Chapter. At first, it was John Wick Parabellum. Mm-hmm. It's just it's worst. just like if you have if you introduce a num- a numerical element, stick to it. Yeah. If like one of the episodes in the Skywalker saga was like, no, we aren't Episode Nine. We're just like we're condemning that ordering system we're right. just the rise of skywalker now you'd be like, well, that it's, makes like no- it's like solo solo two <laughs> solo the other the next one right like why just solo three just be right? solo three there's supposed to be a trilogy of han solo film no part this has to be a joke no i'm not joking why who asked for this not me it's me you want to hear something sad parth is it about star wars it's about solo more specifically (laughs) i saw solo because this is actually about supposed to be about john wick chapter two i saw solo twice in the theaters two days in a row because the first day part of the like eight dollars that it made i'm part of the problem yeah is the first time i fell asleep and then i was like damn i gotta fill in the gaps and uh, i don't want to the the world an opportunity to spoil the great Darth Maul mix up, so I went back the next night before the internet had a chance to foil my uh, my plans. I actually don't hate Solo; it's fine. <sighs> that Darth Maul life. shit at the end is pretty stupid, though. We should probably get back to our main point. Do you have any other reviews, or should we get into our uh, thoughts on the film? We should get into our thoughts. Uh, the takeaway from the reviews was just people's main complaint was. We liked the first one, and we still like Keanu Reeves a lot. It's not his fault, but this movie has no story. And the first one got away with it because it introduced like a new style of action film, but this one barely expands upon that. So we're mad at it. One star. Yeah. Well, let's. I'll ask you then. What? Mm-hmm. I've seen this movie many, many times. Again, I saw this. Give with... me a real ballpark number, an approximation on how many times you've seen it. I honestly don't know. Like, 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 like over 20? Maybe. I don't know. Well, cause, okay, so here's the thing. I was such a big fan of the first movie. So then when a second movie was announced, I was like, this is awesome. When the, when the second movie was coming out, I got one of my friends, one of our shared friends. The we I, I showed him the first John Wick, and he was like, oh, this is awesome. And then, <laughs> and then um, we, we actually, what we had planned was like, okay, I was going to go out to his school house right after school. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched the first John Wick, and then we'd go to the theater together. To see to the second the, one. see the second one. Sure. And I went to his house. We watched the first movie. Great. And According to plan thus far. Exactly. And then and my dad and I had bought the tickets already, so we had the tickets in our hand, right? But then was there like a plane crash or something? N- no. Uh, we, we get to the theater. We get dropped off at the theater. Wow. And then the usher's like, are you 17? <laughs> And, and you, you know like, what we were? No. You know what we were? Sixteen. You we were sixteen. Isn't it so stupid that you can't see a rated R movie unsupervised until age seventeen? So ridiculous. I mean, like even especially with like John Wick. Like, like there's nothing in there that's gonna like scar a fifteen year old any more than if they were seventeen. But Parth, there was like almost nudity in this one. It's true. I was surprised when that lady started getting undressed i was like all right this movie's about to earn its its r rating and then they didn't capitalize i think it's tasteful i like it's tasteful i always wonder when it's like right on the edge i was like i wonder if the actress just like was like i would love to be in this movie but i won't show my boobs for you and then oh so are you saying that all italian women will show their boobs to anyone no it's not italian women seems like a broad generalization italian films are like very breast focused i'll say this they're european european beaches are topless from Uh, my limited experience i went to spain as a like a 12 year old and boy were my eyes opened so anyways uh we were we were turned down by the usher and i had to call my dad Oh, and, and take the like, walk of shame home. Can, can you can you watch the movie with us? And oh. and he was like, No, I can't, cause my cause cause my brother had something to do and he had to be there. And 
So then I called like a family friend of ours who I had seen the first film with, mm-hmm. who's like a friend were, of my dad's. And he was like, uh, were they 21? They're, they're like younger than a little younger than my dad, but like they're an adult. Oh, uh, perfect. And, and I was like, Parth knows uh, a lot of adults. Do you want to come uh, watch a movie with me and my child friend? We went to the nine o'clock something showing of it. Oh, wait, did you have to do the next showing? Or yeah, did he? Because he couldn't come for that showing. So, so did just, you and Alex just like look at each other in that movie to, theater for two hours? No, we went to... A different movie? No, we went to the McDonald's. We walked there. That was that was closest. Waited for my dad to be able to pick me up. Mm-hmm. Came home, played in my... <laughs> I was going to say play... It's meant, I meant to say played video games in my basement but i just, just played play it in your basement <laughs> <laughs> we had a little play date just begging um, the question what were they doing down there uh we were excited to see a film mm-hmm. and that film was solo a star <laughs> wars story <laughs> it gets better every time <laughs> Yo, but, this no, is like so the we, new subplot of the podcast. It's like whenever the other person isn't prepared, like springing solo on them. <laughs> so we so we waited for like two hours, walk, and then went to go see the film. And we were, um, I guess we'll just get into my initial thoughts when I first saw it. We were blown away. We were well, we're not blown away, but we, we were we thir- we were thoroughly entertained. Um, and. I think you probably just like weren't like mentally prepared for it because like you were 16 compared to 17. Well, it's it's okay to go if you have an adult with you. Yes, which you did because you have a lot of old men in your life. Can you confirm that? Uh, I can. Um, how else did you think I got onto the marketing team for Solo? Yes, and yeah, you work for Disney. We got it. Yeah, um, uh, sorry. Continue with your initial thoughts. You were no. pleased. Um, I, I really like this movie. I think, do you think it's better than the first one expands upon what I really liked about the first movie? I think pacing wise, it's not as good. Well, I mean, if, if it's a quality film, I'll be yelling that just in the middle of the theater, but I'll only be in the film at all. If I'm, uh, over 17, right? Which if I'm, it's an R rated film, which you, I'm not, you will not break the law. Parth, I have some news to break. Mm-hmm. I'm a child. I know I look mature, um, but I'm 13. Oh. And so all those rated R movies we went to together. Awkward. Illegal. Um, So um, your lawyers will be in contact with my lawyers. I got Disney lawyers on my payroll, bitch. We'll we'll work out a settlement agreement. um, And I'll... Promise to not expose Walt Disney's cryogenically frozen body under Walt Disney World in, in Orlando, Florida. If you uh, pay me off with enough, a enough. lot of hush hush money. Okay. Uh, well, we can discuss this afterwards. So, um, my thoughts on the film. Yeah, yeah. To be quite frank, having oh, just no. watched the, I, I I know I know, having just watched John Wick, we said I liked it a lot. This one, I liked less. Mm-hmm. Um, How significantly less? I hate to agree with the Amazon reviewers. Because they're like the enemy of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, we are laughing at them, not with them. I think there's some validity to the statement of... It's a lot like, the, it's a lot like what you loved from the first one. But just like a new version of that. For me, I think... Um, it's the, the same series- director. It, it, well, it's one of the directors. Oh, it's, were there two directors in the first one? Uh, well, yeah, the first director... Chad Stahelski and David Leach were the directors of the first one. Um, but and then Dave, can't but you David, not have two listed directors and then again right. some role? So, so David Leach was only credited as a producer on that movie. Well, you can. They kind of changed the rules a bit, I think, because of the Coen yeah, brothers. This sounds like such a dumb technicality. Or what about the Wachowskis? Do you have to be like a, a, a common name or you have to be siblings? I have no clue. David Leach went to direct Atomic Blonde and then to direct Deadpool 2. Mm-hmm. Actually, he might have done Deadpool 2 first. I can't remember honestly so he kind of went off on his own direction but mm-hmm. Chad Helsky stuck it out with John Wick and I think it found its tone mm-hmm. more I think this is a more funny movie than the first one and not in a like we're gonna throw jokes 
in for no reason, kind of just like the world is kind of inherently a little amusing. Um, and I think that works in its favor. Um, and I, 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 I like the, the look of this movie. I think it goes deeper into the like neon sort of, uh, incredibly stylistic view of mm-hmm. the world, which I really dig. So I was in for that. And, um, I, I just think the action is just so much better. Yeah, I agree. Like the opening action set piece of the car chase was freaking awesome. And then uh like the 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 final battle, I guess, in like the the illusion museum, I thought that was like that also freaking awesome. Um I think my problem It's just how, like, in so many ways, it's very similar to the first one. And it, do you know how with a sequel, you either have to, like, do everything better from what you did the first time, or you have to reinvent it and move in a new direction? I guess most of my problems are with the story, but we'll get to that later. I mean, I I think the story, again, I think much like the first one, it's what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But it does lose steam in the in the middle of the movie. I and think I, this one is more visually impressive. Oh, for sure. I mean that that whole like montage sequence. Which one? Where, where there's uh, so many montages. Well, the montage with like the um, all of the assassins trying to kill him and the pencil. Yes. And I, I mean, like that, the pencil callback. I think I think what's great about this movie is that it creates a whole bunch of different visual scenarios Mm -hmm. and it does what a lot of modern action movies don't um which is fucking use your surroundings yes um and if you look at something like jackie chan or something like that if you ever look at his movies you the reason his action sequence not the one reason but one of the reasons that his action sequences are so good is because they can't just be placed anywhere in the movie. They're specific to that location. They're specific to that location, to the items of that location. It's 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 all very specific, and that makes it um, that much more engaging in my eyes. Um, Parth, you want to know who I saw in this movie? Yes. Our friend Luca Mosca. Yes. Wasn't that fun? You want to know a comedic beat I really liked in this movie? Sure. It made it made me laugh. I saw it and I was like. <laughs> When John Wick and Common, you know, the rapper, he's in this movie, they're on opposite I think he's levels. so good in this movie. I love him. Yeah, sure. And is he in some, like, crime show, or am I crazy? I, I'd be, I think he's I'd in be the careful. Hawaii Five-0. Can you I know, look it up you know, you, know, you know how you messed that up. I know what I did week. last week. Yeah, so we don't know what show Common's in, but we'll answer that question next week. But the beat where him and John Wick are walking on different levels, and then they have to be like yes, quiet. The silencer. Yes, that's isn't that so, so awesome. good? Everybody in the theater was laughing when that happened. It's great. I think it's awesome. Also, I love the dramatic tension of them being in really crowded places and like yeah. wanting to kill each other. Like on the subway is a good example, and them just like exchanging tense glances. In the last movie, I was like, every time they break out into a fight, like. All, the entire like public disperses but in this movie i was happy that like when they fought on the subway there's a bunch of people around and then they just like stood off to the side because that's yeah. what you would do if two randos were trying to murder each other in a public place is you wouldn't get involved you would let that run its course and then leave as soon as possible yeah and that's what they did i think i think with this movie it's it's worst action sequences in the catacombs um when he has an assault rifle so patrick willems if anybody, any of our listeners know of him, he makes the YouTube videos, and he did a video um, rating all of the John Wick action sequences. Mm-hmm. And he made a very good point, which is that assault rifles just should not be in a John Wick movie because every time that they're there, you are the fun of the John Wick of a John Wick action sequence is the specificity of it. Mm-hmm. And assault rifles are too easy. Your your opponent's going to be too far away for it to be cool, and it's going to be too quick. Yes. Because um, that's what assault rifles are good at. Exactly. So I think there's that one awesome moment where he like uses a shotgun and like pins somebody to the floor, reloads, and then shoots them. Yeah, I think that's dope. an awesome. Like there's some awesome moments in there, but I think 
midway through the movie, it has a little bit of a slump. But I think that on the whole, I enjoy this a lot more than the first because it has a more of a fun tone to it. It's not like a Marvel. It's not movie. like my wife is dead anymore. It's like my wife is dead and I've moved on. Two, they the variety. There's a higher variety of action sequences that are well done. Mm-hmm. And then three, I I like that it sort of builds the world out more and it's kind of this fun, almost retro looking like you know with like telephone operators and like so with the telephone operator thing i when that first happened i was like does john wick take place in the 50s and then i was like no 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 they have cell phones but and then i also in that moment noticed none of the characters have iphones they all have like weird flip phones that say verizon wireless on top so i feel like there's a partnership there um also, Ryan Johnson in a Q and or not Q and A in a video, I think for Variety, um, said that you are only allowed to use iPhones in a movie if they are not used by the bad guy. I think. But John Wick, I mean, that's funny and good information. But um, yeah, John Wick pulled out his cracked phone, and it had Verizon Wireless written across the top, and I was like, ah. Uh, product placement product placement geez not my or brand moment. endorsement i guess you want to know my favorite action beat it was when john wick pushed his also this movie answered the question of where'd his second car go um it's when or no it's when he the got first his first car. car but no 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 but this was with the second car i think no it was with no. the it was with the first car. car yeah it's when he pushes the door out and then slams on the brakes and then the motorcycle guy goes through it yeah, that was sick. Yeah, this was really a, a reunion for all the lost cars from the first one. Yeah. The, the gang got back I, together, but he destroyed all of them. <laughs> yes. Wait, wait, wait. Does Aurelio repair the car for John Wick 3? Well, we'll get into that, won't we? Uh, here, can you answer a question for me? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's the name of the main antagonist? Santonio? Uh, uh, D'Antonio. D'Antonio. He's like, hey, I have this... The marker. The marker. My problem with the marker was it was for like the impossible task. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of like a throwaway line that they thought they could use to like thread into the original content. Mm -hmm. Much like how in Star Wars A New Hope, they're like, ah, the Clone Wars. And then then they made it into a whole movie. And then they made it into a whole movie. Um, So I thought that was kind of patchwork. Um, but here's where I was confused. He kills the sister, and we're only at like an hour into the movie, and I was like, where do we go from here? Why does he want to kill John Wick now? Because he wants to tie up the loose ends. Well, there's two reasons. One is the story reason of he needs to tie up loose ends um, because he wants to be head of the family, or not the family, but he wants to he go wants to take her table. seat at the table, yeah. Uh, and the other reason is because we need a movie. Is he a part of the third one? No, he's dead. I know, but they kept talking about how he was going to like rule New York and stuff. And I was like, well, there's not enough time to discuss that in this movie. So no, because he because so what happens is he I know he gets shot in the fucking face. He's gone. He's done. So 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 the the next movie is sort of the ramifications of that. And that's kind of why I it is kind of patchwork um, and it is kind of like a contrivance Part of the reason this movie doesn't in sort of a story sense work as well as the first movie is that the first movie, the first movie has a very clear motivation. Also, it has the origin story, which always helps moving forward. Just yeah, and, but, but it's like you, that have, you have your clear, clear motivation of once they kill his dog, you're like, okay, I buy this. Fine. Mm-hmm. But this movie doesn't have that. But I agree. what it does have that I like is that Chad Stahelski has talked sort of at length about how he likes... He doesn't like in action movies how things don't come at a cost really to the main characters. They like sort of go down their paths and then once they're done, they're like able to like step back and be like, oh, like we're fine, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not how it should work. Like it's just you like once you're in something, you only go deeper and deeper. And so I kind of like that, like as a result of the first movie happening, he has to like 
stuff from his past will come back to haunt him. Yeah, and- especially since in the first movie they kept saying like, if you come back, like you're back for good. And he's like, no, nope, yeah. just doing this last job. And then and- they're, and then like the warnings were true. And that's what I like is that it, it, it is kind it is a contrivance. I'm not going to lie, but it is also in keeping with everything that happened in the first movie. And it's like, I really like it when you go further. You kind of said that like you have two choices when making a sequel, which is to do reinvent the wheel or um, do what the or, first or to movie do did. everything you did last like, time, but better. And I actually kind of disagree. I don't think this does the same thing. I think because it, it has the same elements, but that's because there's John Wick is a very limited series. There's, mm-hmm. there's not that much you can do with a hitman, you know, fundamentally. But what it does not, it doesn't kill another dog. It doesn't like... I'm so happy he doesn't get a new wife and kill her or kill yeah. his current dog. That to me would have been redoing it. But like this is sort of like as a consequence of whatever happened in the first movie that directly feeds into um, the plot of this next movie. And... You know, I think the best sequels do that. Like, The Dark Knight does that. Um, Godfather Part II. Uh, one of the more underrated sequels in my eyes, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, does that. And, and it's sort of... It, it doesn't have the same structure as the first movie does, which is why I like it. I was just about to make a comment about how he, like, doesn't kill women as easily as he kills men. Because that, like... The, I think she's deaf because she does sign language the She's whole mute. time. He doesn't kill her, but he kills everyone else like so effortlessly and remorse. I mean, he leaves her to like bleed out and die. She had a stab wound. She had a broken arm and a stab wound through her hand. She was fine. I guess. No, I'm not saying it as a bad thing. I'm just well, making an observation. John Wick respects women. So So we can't criticize him for that. No. And but- while this is a action a franchise oh. led by a man, directed by men, written by men, starring mostly men. And being commented by two men. <laughs> it's a feminist franchise. When we're like 40 minutes in the movie and the woman cuts herself in the hot tub, I was like, she's going to kill herself so he can't. And then John Wick is going to be punished. But then I was like, but that's so stupid because she needed to be dead. But she just got killed indirectly by him. But because he didn't deliver the finishing blow, he's going to be hunted um but that he shot her in the head not to worry and just proving that john wick has no problem killing well i mean the damage was done he was just like further damaging a corpse it does what it needs to do and it sets up a very interesting thing for the sequel because it sets up that everybody in new york is a hitman and is coming for john wick it alluded to that at the end and i I, I'm, i'm wondering what your thoughts on that are and what your excitement level is for the third one well, I liked the bit about how all the homeless people work for Lawrence Fishburne. Yes, isn't that great? And then to expand upon that even further by when Winston and him are talking in that public place and then everyone like like tips yeah. their hand and is like, yeah, we're Hitman too. You've one hour. Run, bitch. So I wonder how he's going to get out of this pickle because it seems like everyone in the world wants to kill him. But is that the consequence for breaking the continental rules? Yeah. Are you ready to give a star rating? I give this an 8. What, didn't, didn't you give the first one an 8.5? Did, didn't I? Maybe, maybe, maybe this is an 8.5. I think, I think, on the whole, it's about as good. But I enjoy this a lot more, and despite its like narrative flaws, I guess. I didn't love the antagonist. I thought he was Fair. kind of... He is, he is pretty bland. I thought it was just brought him out of nowhere. We didn't get to know him. Um, I was nervous at the beginning that it w- we were just going to be fighting the brother to the orig- to Vigo. Wouldn't that have, isn't that so funny, though? I'm that so glad, like- glad they came to a piece. They put their differences aside. The action sequences were awesome. But just something was missing for me. I'm, I'm on board. I enjoyed myself. I'm going to give it a, a, a six and a half. All right. Uh, tell us about our next episode. It's gonna it's gonna be John Wick Part Three Parabellum. Um, let's hope. Uh, unless Disney calls me and they're like, they're like, oh, you can't work for us anymore. You can't work on marketing solo too. No, 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 no. Just the opposite. Actually, they're like, Marth, you can't be out there promoting Lionsgate films. You can't be out there 
promoting. <laughs> your word is too strong. <laughs> you, 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 your outreach, your impact, it's too great. We're going out of business. They're killing us. Actually, our next episode is going to be on the highly underrated film, I would say, Solo, Star Wars Story. Do we um, want to do it after all this buildup? Um, I don't know. I kind of want this to be a running joke, but I don't know. All right. Yeah, because once we actually review Solo and then- like, maybe, maybe when we like graduate college and we're like, maybe it's time to retire this. Or if one of us dies under mysterious circumstances, we can do- Oh, like wait. A- when we graduate college? Maybe when I graduate college, because guess what, folks? Trent is trying to take a gap year. Yeah, leave of absence, baby. Class of 2024. Parth and I are breaking up. Only in the eyes of Rutgers University, because they can't keep us apart. It's a sad moment, but we will prevail. Parth is officially my wise elder, before he was just wise. When's your birthday? January 5th, Capricorn. You? You are older than me. Bummer. April 28th. Oh, so we were both alive for 9-11. I'm glad that was... Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it could have been either of us. I suppose so. Where were you, Parth? Do you remember? Um, I was with um my uncle. Actually, I was with him before he. So, so you were plane in. <laughs> you were in the North Tower. I wasn't in the. No, 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 no. Like he was. He was. Like you're misunderstanding what my my joke here is. I'm. Yeah, I'm no. The joke is that your skin is brown, so that right. you were somehow involved in the September 11th attacks. Somebody once asked me. If I knew people that were, and you're like wrong country. No, I was like hell yeah. If somebody, if somebody, if somebody comes up and asks me, yeah, why not? Yeah, and you're just encouraging their, uh, the racism. Huh? Exactly. And on that note, we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>